Good afternoon. It's a joy and blessing to be here today. The Bible often uses the picture of a body to describe the Lord's church and to illustrate the the work of the church. And for this body here uh, in Pittsburgh, the the Eastside Church of Christ, to, to grow and to thrive and to be effective in doing its work, it's vital that each and every part, each and every member, uh, understand properly and, and fulfill their respective roles. Not everyone is a hand. Not everyone is an eye or an ear. We each have different roles as God designed it, that we might be able to, to work together, that our strengths and weaknesses may complement one, one another in such a way uh, that the Lord's work can prosper and that the Lord's church can grow. But determining our role in the body is not always an easy thing to do. Uh, We have to evaluate our strengths and weaknesses. We need to identify what the needs are within uh, the the Lord's work and seek to serve in ways that we feel like we and and what we're able to accomplish can, can do the most good. And God hasn't given us a whole lot of specific guidance uh, in this area. There, there are some judgments that each of us is going to have to make and, and how best we can serve, how best we can do the Lord's work. However, there are some guidelines that God has given us about roles within his body. Uh, and that's what I want us to focus on today. What God, has God said about roles within his body? Certainly, we could spend some time talking about elders and deacons. God has given us Uh, specific instructions about the qualifications uh, for those who would serve in that role. But another area that he's given us principles is regarding the role of men and of women within the church. Uh, We do see the Bible talks about different roles that we uh, each are to fulfill in that regard. And so I want us to take some time today to see what the Bible has to say specifically about women's roles. And I know this can be a a very culturally sensitive issue, as as probably everybody here knows. I'm not one to seek out hot-button topics uh, that are going to stir up a lot of controversy or or let the news media determine what it is we're going to preach from this pulpit. But where the Bible speaks on something, we need to speak about it. Uh, We need not to shy away from talking about things that that may be uh, emotionally charged or, or culturally sensitive, Uh, And so, all the more in areas that are culturally sensitive, that that people have different ideas, we need to be all the more careful to make sure that we're speaking where the Bible speaks, that we're not coming to the scriptures with our preconceived ideas of of what should be the roles of, of males and females within the church, but that we are coming with a clean slate seeking to find out what does God's word say. God's the one who designed his church. God's the one who created male and female. And certainly he has the authority to instruct us in this area. So what does God say specifically about women's roles within the church? I want to start off by making something very clear. Difference in role doesn't mean difference in value. And I think this is where some of that uh, emotionally charged attitude or perspective comes from. Many times when you say that there's a different role for men and women, whether it be within the home or within the church, uh, some might say, well, you're saying that women aren't equal to men. How, how dare somebody say that? You're, you're saying that they're less valuable. Or you're saying that they're less important. I want to make clear from the very beginning, that's not at all what we're saying. Uh, and most important, that that's not what God's saying. 
uh, when we look within the scriptures. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we have this illustration of the body, of all the different parts working, serving different roles. And you notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 15 and 16, we read, If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, is it not for this reason any less a part of the body? Verse 16, and if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. Is it not for this reason any less a part of the body? we not just talking about men and women, but, but each and every one of us. We have different roles that we fulfill. And just because I'm not an eye doesn't mean that I'm any less valuable to the body. doesn't mean that I uh, am not part of the body. Uh, a foot is just as valuable and needed in the body as, as a hand. Uh, an ear is just as needed within the body as an eye. They serve different roles. That doesn't mean that they're any less a part of the body or, or any less valuable to the body. Uh, and if you look just one chapter earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse 3, here notice we have another statement about roles. Uh, it says in verse 3, But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. God is the head of Christ. Man is the head of woman uh, in respect to roles, as God designed it. Now, does that mean, would, would we say, well, if, if God is the head of Christ, that means that, that Jesus and, and the Father aren't equal. And that Jesus is somehow less valuable, less important. Well, no, that's not what we're saying at all. Jesus did have a role of submission and subjection to the the Father's will. But that role was extremely vital to our salvation. We can't overstate the importance of that role. And so when we read a passage like this and we say that man is the head of woman as God designed it, we're not saying that man somehow has a more important, more valuable role in any way. There are some extremely important roles that women fulfill within the church and within the home that men can't serve as effectively. And vice versa, there are some roles that men fulfill within the home and within the church that God didn't intend for women to fulfill. And yet that is not a statement about value or importance. That's simply a statement about role. The Bible teaches us that women are extremely valuable and important within God's creation, within the family, within the church. And while we while women do have a different role than men, they undoubtedly are equal in God's eyes. From the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, when God created man in his own image, he makes it very clear that's not a statement that just man was created in his image. He says, male and female, he created them. He created them in his image. And so male and female are both equally created in the image of God. In First Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, and talking about husbands and wives in that, and wives in that context, while it does refer to the woman as the, the weaker vessel, that's not a statement of, of lesser value. In fact, in many ways, it's a statement of more value in that context, that she should be held with great honor, protected, cherished as a precious jewel. And he says there that she is a fellow heir of the grace of life. You know, in ancient society, it was normally only the, the sons that inherited from the, the, the father, and yet here in God's kingdom, in God's family, he makes it very clear that men and women are equally heirs of his grace, 
of his blessings, of the blessings of heaven, we, we equally stand as heirs within his kingdom, within his family. Galatians 3 and verse 28, we're told that there is no division and value between Jew and Greek, between slave and free. He also says between male and female. But we are all one in Christ. There are no second class citizens in God's kingdom. Different roles, yes, but no difference in status or value or importance. So I want to make that very clear um, that what we are saying, what more importantly, what God is saying, because that's what we want the focus to be on, is not that there is any difference in value or importance, but I think we will see that the Bible does talk about a difference in role as God designed it. But further, women served very important roles within the early church. Uh, First of all, in the early church, in the context of spiritual gifts, it was not just men who were given spiritual gifts. You remember uh, back in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, from the very first time where the Spirit is poured out upon the church. We see in Acts 2 and verse 17, quoting from Joel 2, it says, It shall be in the last days that I will pour forth my Spirit on all mankind, or some versions say all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Here, these miraculous gifts that were given for the building up of the church, for the furtherance of the revelation of God's will and the gospel, were given both to male and to female. Not just to men. We see that very clearly in Acts 21 and verse 9, where Philip had Philip the evangelist had four virgin daughters who were prophetesses. What, what are they doing as prophetesses? Well, they are proclaiming God's message. They are preaching God's message. They, they are teaching, instructing from God. And so from the beginning, we do see certain situations at least, and we'll see some limitations on that, but in which God is inspiring women to teach. And so certainly from the beginning, women were active in, in very important roles within the body. In 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 5, we see some restrictions on this to make it clear that, that women are still under uh, submission, still within that role. In 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 5, when it talks about the head covering, it's in this context. It says in verse 5, But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. And so, in a context where she is, is publicly speaking to God or to others by inspiration of the, the Spirit, it seems that here in verse 10 of that chapter, she was to make it clear that she was still under authority. There's a symbol of authority on her head, and yet, here, she is prophesying. Uh, she is, is doing a work, uh, and while there are certain restrictions on when and how those gifts could be used by women. Uh, certainly they exercised those gifts within a submissive role uh, to proclaim God's message, to preach, to teach uh, as God gave them utterance. And we see even outside of the context of spiritual gifts that women were active in teaching. Again, later on, we'll look at some passages to show limitations on that. But you look in Acts chapter 18, Acts chapter 18 and verse 26, you remember when Apollos is preaching and Apollos only knows about the baptism of John. And so he is preaching boldly about the baptism of John. But it says there in chapter 18 and verse 26 that when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. 
it wasn't just Aquila who took him aside. It was Priscilla and Aquila. And in fact, most times that they're mentioned in the scripture, Priscilla's name comes first. Uh, she was active in helping discuss these things with Apollos. So certainly we see Priscilla participating in some form of teaching there. In fact, not only is it permissible for women to teach in certain contexts, but it is commanded for women to teach in certain contexts. Titus chapter 2 and verse 3. Titus 2 and verse 3 Here we're instructed, older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good. Should women be teaching? Not only can they be, but they should be. Here they're commanded to be teaching what is good. And so certainly within certain contexts, women should be active in teaching Others, they should be teaching their friends and neighbors the gospel. They should be teaching other women, teaching children, even participating in teaching other men in appropriate settings and in appropriate ways, as we see with uh, Aquila and Priscilla. And so we'll talk about some restrictions on women's roles in teaching as we look at uh, some other passages here in a little bit. But I think it's important that we clarify that what we're saying here and what the scripture is saying is not that women don't teach and that women just don't participate in that type of of activity. Well, no, in fact, they should be participating in that activity. They should be teaching at every opportunity that they have. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, when it says that uh, as the church was persecuted, uh, the Christians, the saints were scattered everywhere teaching the gospel. It wasn't just men that were scattered teaching the gospel. It was women as well. Later on in Acts chapter 9, it says that Paul was throwing both men and women into prison because of their teaching. Uh, and so certainly we see the women being active in spreading the gospel. First Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 when it says that we need to be ready to give a defense for the hope that was in us. That's not just a command given to men. No, women as well need to be ready to give a defense even of the hope that was, is within them. Also in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, Paul commands Timothy to entrust these things to faithful men that they might then teach others. Uh, The word there is actually gender neutral. It's not faithful males. Uh, It could be translated, and the NIV translates it faithful people. And so it it could even apply in that context as well. But we see that women did serve, uh, even when not prophesying or teaching, women did serve vital roles within the work of the church. So let's look at one last passage together in this regard. Uh, In Romans chapter 16, if you want to turn your Bibles there. Romans chapter 16, and here Paul at the end of this letter greets a lot of different people and commends them for different things. But I want you to notice that quite a few women are mentioned in this chapter. We won't look at everyone that is mentioned, but in fact, the very first person mentioned by Paul is a woman. Look in Romans chapter 16, starting verse 1. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is at Synchria, that you receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints, that you help her in whatever matter she may have need of you. For she herself has also been a helper of many and of myself as well. Here she's described as a servant of the church. Now, I don't think that means in an authoritative role 
because we'll read passages about that later, but she was a very active servant, even to the point that Paul is saying, if she has any need of you, you help her in the work that she's doing for the Lord. Verse 3, greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who for my life risked their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also all of the churches of the Gentiles. Down in verse 6, greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Down in verse 12, uh, the three names here are all female names. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, workers in the Lord. Greet Persis, the beloved, who has worked hard in the Lord. Here, how are these women described? They're hard workers for the Lord. They're servants in the church. They're helpers. They're people that are commended for the work that they're doing. And so when we think about women's roles within the church, I think we need to recognize that the role of women within the church doesn't always have to be menial labor behind the scenes that isn't recognized and, and, and isn't public. Uh, I think we see that men, women serve very prominent roles being very prominent servants, teaching in certain contexts, certainly evangelizing, defending the truth, expanding the kingdom, building up the body of Christ. And so while we are going to look at two more passages uh, today that, that are going to give us some limitations and restrictions on the role of women, I want to make it very clear within the scriptures that women were active servants and prominent roles within the church doing much good for the gospel, even teaching in certain contexts. But having established all of that, we do see that God has given women a role of submission within the home uh, and within the church. Turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy 2. I want us to spend some time looking at uh, two passages, one in 1 Timothy 2 and the other in 1 Corinthians 14 that Brad read for us earlier. 1 Timothy 2, and to get the entire context, let's read verse 8 through 15 together. Starting in verse 8, he has an instruction to men. First of all, he says in verse 8, Therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. Likewise, verse 9, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. Verse 11, a woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. Okay, so as we get down into verse 11 and 12, we have some restrictions on the type of, of teaching that a woman is able to uh, engage in as the role that God gave her. But First of all, let's notice the context here in 1 Timothy 2. We're not specifically talking about the assembly in this context. If you look in verse 8, the instructions to men, it says, In every place they are to pray, lifting up holy hands. This isn't, isn't limited to the assembly. And first, certainly as we look in verse 9 and 10, the instructions about modest dress, I, I hope that doesn't only apply to the assembly. I think we would all recognize that we need to dress modestly even outside of the assembly. And so we're talking here in general, but we're talking about women of the church. Later on in chapter 3 and verse 15, 
Paul says, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of God. We're not talking specifically about the assembly, but we're talking about women who are part of the family of God, who are part of the household of God, and how they should conduct themselves uh, specifically in their relationship with uh, others within the church. But certainly this character would apply even beyond that. But secondly, I want you to notice Paul's reasoning. In verse 13 and 14, uh, there's nothing that would indicate that his reasoning here is based on the culture of his time. Uh, His reasoning is not culturally based, but biblically based. He says there in verse 13, For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. Similar to how you have the, the, the right of the firstborn. Remember in, in the old law, the, the common practice, even before the law was given in, in the time of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, was that the firstborn was given certain rights and responsibilities as kind of leader of the family underneath the parents. Well, in the same way, Adam being the firstborn of creation, Adam being the first created, is given a similar leadership role. It was Adam who was created first, and then Eve. And in verse 14, goes on to say, And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Now, certainly Adam sinned as well, but I think what we see here is that Eve set a precedent of failed female leadership by being the first to partake of the fruit and then giving to her husband with her. And so I think part of the punishment we see in Genesis chapter 3 says that her desire will be for his her husband and yet he will rule over you. And so there part of the the consequence of her actions and leading them or or, or contributing and leading them into sin uh, was that she would have this rule of submission, that her husband would rule over her. And I think that is what verse 15 is further referring to. Another part of that punishment was pain in childbearing. And so while verse 15 may be one of the more confusing verses of this passage, uh, I think the primary idea there is that even in the punishment of pain in childbirth, there is still hope beyond that punishment, uh, specifically in the seed of woman ultimately bringing salvation, maybe part of the idea there, Uh, but she'll be preserved even through the punishment that God gave. And so the context here is not one of cultural acceptance. In fact, in Greek and Roman culture, Paul's instructions here would not have been universally accepted. Among the Greeks and the Romans, it wasn't that big of a deal for women to, to, to lead, to take on a position of authority. Uh, and so to say that this is culturally based has no basis in the scriptures nor basis in the culture of that time. And so clearly, Paul's reasoning here applies to our culture today just like it did the culture back then. Uh, it is biblically based. But what, what is the command then? We understand the context, not within the assembly specifically in this passage, but within the Lord's church. And we understand the reasoning. But on this basis, what is woman's role within the church? Well, there in verse 11 and 12, we see that her role is one of submission, of quietness, uh, of of yielding to the leadership role that God gave to men. And that was what we've already seen. This doesn't mean that women cannot teach in any context. Very clearly, we saw examples of women even being commanded to teach in certain contexts. So what we're seeing here specifically 
is that God's intent is that women should not teach over a man uh, or exercise authority over a man uh, in a way that would, would compromise or call into question that role of submission that God gave. Further, it says that she should quietly receive instruction, verse 12, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. What, what does that mean? Well, th- this word quiet doesn't, in this passage, this word doesn't mean simply literal silence. Uh, it really is more of a description of character or attitude. In fact, look up in chapter 2 and verse 2, the same word uh, or the same root word is used when it says that we should pray for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life and all godliness and dignity. What is it talking about there? We live a quiet life by not speaking? Well, no, that, that's not what it's being described in this passage. We're, we're talking about a life that is undisturbed, a life, a life that is, is peaceable. And so what we're talking about here is not that, that women should be seen and not heard. That's not what Paul is, is, is saying here. This word quiet means peaceable, orderly, undisturbed. Also in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 4, women are said there to have an imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit. Well, what's a quiet spirit? Are we talking about simply literal silence here that she shouldn't talk much? Well, certainly all of us need to be slow to speak, but that's not what we're referring to here. We're talking about the opposite of boisterous. The opposite of, of drawing inappropriate attention towards oneself. Uh, that type of quiet, uh, meek spirit. Also in 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 12, if you have your Bibles open to 1 Timothy 2, you can just turn a page or two back. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 12 says, Now such a person we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. Here there's a command to, to men and to women that they should work quietly, not causing any disturbance or disruption, but being content to uh, work without uh, causing any, any chaos or, or disruption in that regard. So what we see here in 1 Timothy 2 is not uh, a command that women shouldn't speak, that, that women shouldn't uh, teach in any context, but that they should have the, the meek and quiet spirit that does not call into question the submissive role, um, that doesn't exercise authority or leadership over that of a man. She must maintain a character and conduct that is consistent with the role of submission uh, that God has given. But what about specifically within the assembly? I want us to look at one other passage that we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at, and that's 1 Corinthians 14, if you'd like to turn over there with me. 1 Corinthians 14, uh, I appreciate Brad reading the entire context of this passage for us, because I think that'll be important. But I want to focus on verse 34 and 35, which specifically addresses the issue that, that we're talking about today. It says in verse 34 of 1 Corinthians 14, The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are subject themselves, just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. 
Well, what is being said here? What, what is the context? Very clearly, the context is the assembly. He says, in church, a woman is to be silent. And if you look up in verse 26, the very first verse that Brad read earlier, it says, what is the outcome then, brethren, when you assemble? Each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. So here specifically, within the assembly, it says that women are to be silent. And this word is different than the quiet in proximity to. This does mean literal silence. But I want you to notice another thing about this passage. Women are one of three groups that are told to be silent in this passage. Look up in verse 27 and 28. It says, If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or at least, uh, or at most three, and each in turn, and one must interpret. But if there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Who's supposed to be silent here? Well, the tongue speaker who doesn't have an interpreter. And so there is a, a certain context in which this man is to be silent. He's not to speak. But what if that same man who has a tongue but no interpreter later on in the service wants to lead a, a psalm in the language that everybody understands? Does he still have to be silent? Well, no, that, that silence has a specific context to it that we're talking about. And so... In that context, in that regard, he is to be silent. He's not to speak at all in that context. Verse 30, uh, verse 29 and 30, again we see another that is commanded to be silent. He says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. Who's supposed to be silent here? Well, the first prophet. When another prophet gets a revelation... And it's his turn to speak now. The first one's to sit down, and he is not to speak. He's not to cause a disruption. He's supposed to be silent. Now, what if at the end of the service, that same prophet is asked to, to lead in a prayer? Are, are we to say, well, no, he can't. Well, no, it was in a specific context. He had to be silent. Well, what about women in verse 34? says, the women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves, just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Now, this is a little bit more of a blanket statement. Uh, it's not just when somebody else is speaking. It's not just when there's not an interpreter around. But here, the, the woman is to be silent in what context? Well, specifically, it says there in verse 34, but they are to subject themselves, just as the law also says. Is it that women are to be silent, physically silent, which is what this word means, throughout the, the duration of the entire assembly, in any context and in any way? Well, if that's the case, then every woman here has violated this passage. If, if that were the case, when you walk into these doors, you need to be quiet from now on. Well, all, all the members are here. The assembly is here. You can't say anything. I don't think that's what it's talking about. In fact, women are commanded to speak within the church. Ephesians 5 and verse 19, we're told to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. All of us did that today. 
God intends that women speak in that context. Certainly, I hope that it's not just the men who are supposed to sing, or else we're not going to sound as good, although that's not what's most important. But certainly, in that context, women don't have to be silent. Women are, are speaking to one another, teaching and admonishing in psalm, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's not what 1 Corinthians 14 is referring to. What about saying amen at the end of a prayer? Or amen at the end of a prayer? Well, earlier in this same chapter, we see it was the common practices of the church that after the giving of thanks, the entire congregation would say amen, amen. Well, can a woman do that? I, I think we see an example that that's something that the early church, at least, all of them did. That wouldn't be violating 1 Corinthians 14. What if today a woman needed to come forward and confess sin or confessed Christ? Would that violate this passage? Not at all. And so what are we talking about here when it says that a woman is to keep silent in a church? Certainly it doesn't mean that the moment she walks into the door, she has to zip her lips and not say anything. She can sing. She can say amen. She can confess Christ. Any of those wouldn't be a violation of the passage. The context here is she's not to speak a single word in a way that would not be subject as the law says there in verse 34. And if you look in the context back in verse 26, it says, What is the outcome then, brethren, when you assemble? Each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. A woman could not speak uh, in that context to lead a psalm. She couldn't bring a teaching. She couldn't bring a revelation or a tongue or interpretation within the congregation. In that regard, she is to be silent. In any way that she would be taking a leadership role, any way that she would no longer be acting in a role of submission and subjection, in that regard, she is to be silent. But I think very clearly that doesn't mean silence in every context and in every way. And so what we're talking about here specifically is what women leading, speaking in a way in which they are now directing the assembly, taking the floor, or, or functioning in any type of leadership role. That doesn't always have to be getting up and leading from the lectern. Uh, you notice the example in verse 35 it says, if they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Now, it was very common uh, in teaching to often teach and, and direct discussion through questions. Uh, imagine for a moment that this morning as we started our Bible class, I stood up here and I said, okay, everybody turn their Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. That's what we're going to study today. And Aaron said, wait, 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 wait a second. I have a question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? I think we should talk about that. I said, well, you know, today uh, we're going to study Revelation 20. That, that's what we're here to study. And, and then Patty said, wait, wait, wait a second. I, I want to know, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Well, that, that's not what we're studying today. We're going to study Revelation 20. And then Stephanie said, wait, 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 wait. I, I knew a lady, and she was married, and her husband died. And uh, then she married his brother, and he died, and she married his brother, and she married seven. Whose husband is going to be her husband in the resurrection? Say, wait, wait a second. We're now taking this study, we're now taking this study in a different direction. 
you're taking a, a leadership role telling us what we're going to discuss today. We're, we're, we're discussing Revelation 1. And I think that, while that might be an extreme example, is what we're talking about here. It's not that in any context and in any way a woman could not speak. But specifically, she could not speak in any way that would call into question her role of submission. That would take a leadership role, direct the discussion. If, if, if you want to do that, if you want to talk about whether or not we should pay taxes to Caesar, we can talk about that. But that's we're, we're not going to uh, allow somebody to, to derail uh, and, and take us somewhere else. Somebody else could take legitimately take a leadership role and, and decide to, that we're going to discuss that today. But certainly women, as God has designed it, should not function in that way and taking a leadership role within the assembly. I think that's the context specifically in which she is to be silent. I know that probably leaves a lot more questions. What exactly would constitute taking a leadership role? What exactly would constitute speaking in a way that would call into question that role of submission? Uh, there's certainly some areas for, for ju- judgment and discretion on what would violate those principles and what wouldn't. But I hope by looking at these passages today, we can at least establish what those principles are. And as we each seek to fulfill the role that God has given us, we can work together um, to be the part of the body that God designed us to be. We need women workers. And what I fear sometimes is that when we say, well, women can't teach and make that a a blanket statement, and and women uh, can't uh, serve any type of of, of prominent role, I, I think we take away what God intended the role of women to be in serving the church. Should women be evangelizing? Should women be defending the faith, be spreading the kingdom, be building up the body of Christ? By all means. And so we need every part of the body. And yet we need to respect and fulfill the roles that God has given us. I hope these things have been helpful for you today. Uh, If any women have a question about it, don't ask me right now. Um, But feel free uh, to to ask later on. if, If there's anything that we can do to be helpful... And, and working through these things, um, I, that's our goal, to understand what it is that God desires of us as his church. Um, if there's anyone here today who needs to confess Christ, who needs to confess sins in their life, who needs the prayers of the brethren, we provide an opportunity. Uh, and we seek to do that all the time, not, not just now, but make it evident that we want to be there to help one another. And if there's anyone here who, who needs to, to make some need known that we can pray about, that we can help you with, um, that you need to turn to the Lord, we want to give you that opportunity. So if there's anyone who is subject to the Lord's invitation today, we ask that you'll let it be known uh, as we stand and sing together.